So let's talk about resilience today, and more specifically, where what I'm calling true resilience actually comes from. And when I say true resilience, understand there's a big difference between the common conception of what a resilient basketball player is, and again, what I'm calling true resilience, and what we'll be discussing in this talk. And as we move throughout this talk, especially towards the end of the first chapter here, which will be coming up shortly, you're going to realize <laughs> what a superpower true resilience actually is and what it can do for your basketball career is world changing. So uh, I will say along those lines that the philosophy we'll, we'll be discussing here has actually become my fundamental philosophy towards all of life. And what we'll be discussing can be applied not only on the basketball court with extreme results, but in every aspect of your life as a whole. And it can actually transform the way that you see reality in general. So this is going to be a really powerful one. And we should probably start off <laughs> right off the bat with defining what resilience actually is, because as I was preparing this talk, I actually looked up a definition of resilience. And what I came across was the ability to recover quickly from difficulty. Resilience as the ability to recover quickly from difficulty. To me, when I first read that definition, that was a little bit incomplete. That tells you a little bit of what resilience actually is. But as I define it, and as we'll be discussing it here, it's something actually more powerful and more profound. So the early definition that I will give you now is resilience as the ability to transform difficulty into growth. So not only to recover from difficulty, but actually to transform that difficulty so it becomes a positive. And this is a lot more profound than you think, as we'll get into uh, later in this first chapter. But uh, to start off, I'll point out here that when we're talking about resilience and the ability to transform difficulty into growth, we're not only talking about um, the common conception of resilience as physical toughness, like a resilient injury-proof body that can withstand a lot of uh, load that can, you know, <laughs> lift a lot of weight and run for long periods of time and endure a, a full basketball season. That is a resilient body. However, the type of resilience we're talking about is much more multidimensional. So this isn't just physical toughness, it's mental toughness, emotional toughness, and even spiritual toughness as you go throughout your life. So it's this holistic view of resilience as, again, the ability for all of your system, mind, body, and spirit to transform every challenge and difficulty that you face into explosive growth in your life and specifically um, in your game and in your basketball career. Okay, so <laughs> let's get into this here. I'll start off uh, by sharing a little bit about what resilience is not. Okay, what resilience is not. And what comes to mind is uh, a teacher of mine named Bruce Francis. Now, Bruce Francis, I first met him back in 2016. I moved to Maui and I've shared this before. So again, if you've heard this, I'm just going to repeat it quickly for everybody who hasn't. But uh, Bruce was my earliest teacher of, of true like mental, emotional and spiritual development. He's a Taoist master. And what I always say is the difference between uh, a really, really, really good teacher and a master is the difference between like a millionaire and a billionaire. A billionaire is literally worth a thousand millionaires or more. So it's a big, big difference. And Bruce is a, is a genuine Taoist master. So a master in the field of martial arts, in the field of meditation, um, Qigong, healing, uh, Taoist practices, and so on and so forth. He actually, by the time he was 19, he's like 
something out of a movie. You know, he actually had eight black belts by the time he was 19 and was doing cage fighting for money in Japan. <laughs> so he, uh, there, there's like old videos of him. I think they're still on YouTube now of leaving like five karate black belts on the ground as they're all attacking him and just crazy stuff like that. Like literally something you would see out of a movie. That's Bruce. So I was really lucky to have a chance to learn from Bruce and still to, to this day, I learned from Bruce and do a lot of the practices that he taught me. But one of the first things that he said that really, really struck me is that this concept that we in the Western world have of masculine toughness, like a macho guy who's, who's tough and again, resilient and um, can withstand a lot. This concept of masculine toughness most often uh, is just another word for emotional weakness. Okay, masculine toughness is another word for emotional weakness. And he used to say that these really tough guys would come into the cage to, to fight him in Japan, um, or he would be going up against, again, one of these like tough macho guys. And they were so shut down and closed off emotionally that he used to call it free money. It was like a joke, actually. And um, he knew exactly how to fight them and exactly where to press. And the difference between them and him was, was that, um, as we'll get into in a moment, it's the difference between a fighter and a warrior. Okay, a fighter and a warrior. The fighter is always fighting against a challenge, like white knuckling and struggling. And they see life as this game of survival where they have to fight to survive and they're going up against something all the time. Whereas <laughs> a warrior actually welcomes all challenge as a, a vehicle for growth. And we talked about resilience in the, in the early stage of this talk as the ability to transform challenge and difficulty into growth. And so the warrior is one who embraces all challenge and actually sees life as a platform for their own development. Okay, that's very different than fighting and surviving and struggling versus welcoming all challenge as a vehicle for their growth. So <laughs> back when Bruce was going up against these people and he was obviously very successful and now he's in his mid 70s, I guess, and no longer fights. But um, it, it was really, really striking when he said this, this exam, this concept of masculine toughness is most often just a cover up for emotional weakness. And so once again, I, I want to drive this point home. The resilience that we're talking about is not just physical, like what you might consider resilience, physical strength and, and physical toughness, but it's mental, emotional, and spiritual as well. It's multidimensional. And so uh, what resilient, going back to this concept of what resilience is not, okay? Resilience is not one of the um, really common teachings these days. <laughs> you might've heard this is like callousing your mind, callousing your mind. So nothing can hurt you and you're, you're kind of shut off from all feeling. That is not resilience. That is another word for emotional weakness, okay? That's not what we're gonna be talking about and it's terrible advice, <laughs> okay? So callousing your mind, shutting yourself off, becoming numb so nothing can hurt you, that's not what we're talking about. That's not resilience. That's brittle fragility, actually. It's the difference between like steel and, um, you know, rusted iron. Rusted iron can break. Steel is going to be solid no matter what. Um, <sighs> I'll put it this way, okay? If you need to white knuckle and grind, that's not resilience. That's not true resilience, okay? If you need to close yourself off emotionally so that you don't feel anything, 
That's not true resilience. If it feels like a fight and a struggle, that's not true resilience, all right? And let's go back to the difference between a fighter and a warrior, a fighter and a warrior. The difference is sort of like, you could picture it this way, like the uh, top level boxer who's coming out <laughs> into the boxing ring to their entrance music and the crowd's cheering and they're beating themselves, like beating their chest and getting all amped up to fight. The difference between a fighter and a warrior is the difference between that boxer and the master level samurai sitting in meditation. One of them is like in the storm. One of them is fighting against the storm and getting riled up and struggling against it and getting all like hyped up over this fight. The other one is sitting right dead in the eye of the storm where it's perfectly calm and perfectly peaceful. That is where true resilience lies. True resilience is not in the storm itself. It's in the eye of the storm. And we're going to talk soon about where this actually comes from. But I want to paint this picture for you very clearly so that we know the difference and we actually know what we're getting at here. Um, so let's talk about the most resilient basketball player in history now and his journey from being a fighter to being a warrior. And this is one of the most extreme examples of resilience that I've ever come across in my life. Um, that example, of course, is from Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant is the most resilient basketball player in history. And <laughs> most young players don't realize how much Kobe actually struggled in many, many ways early on in his career. Kobe was the most hated athlete in the world, or at least the most hated basketball player in the world for a lot of years early on in his career, okay? He jumped from high school into the NBA. He was one of the first players to do that. And when he came to the NBA, he was so young, his parents literally had to co-sign on his contract. He was so young that he couldn't go to the bars with his teammates. He couldn't party with them. He was socially outcast. He was made fun of by his teammates. And they just didn't really take him all that seriously. So first thing, he's like shoved into this world. Imagine as an 18-year-old being put under the bright lights in LA and having no friends. <laughs> he was completely and totally alone. On top of this, in the early years, and this comes from Tex Winter, actually. Tex talks about this quite a lot. But Phil, as a uh, Phil Jackson I'm, I'm talking about, Phil actually made young Kobe Bryant, 19, 20, 21-year-old Kobe Bryant, his whipping boy. And he did this because he knew how tough and resilient Kobe was, and he knew that he needed to make somebody his whipping boy so that the veterans like Shaq, who were not as mentally, emotionally resilient, would um, come onto their side. So in an effort to coddle Shaq, he would make Kobe his whipping boy, and he would constantly be like... Um, pointing out Kobe's mistakes and railing on him in practice and in film sessions in front of the team. And he did this for years. And again, this is coming from Tex Winter. This is during Phil's uh, first stint with the Lakers. So during their first three-peat run, Kobe was his whipping boy. And this is, again, young Kobe Bryant, like 19, 20, 21 years old, 22 years old. And Kobe's got no friends on the team. He's just being like this coach who he's admired for years is railing on him every single day. That is really, really, really difficult. So Kobe, again, is growing through all of this challenge. And then the next thing you know, 
his family fractures. The only support system that he has, his parents and his sisters, that family fractures as soon as he marries Vanessa. So he no longer has the support of his parents who didn't endorse the marriage. And so they completely broke off and he stopped talking to them for a period of time. And all he had in the world was Vanessa. So it was like him and, and Vanessa against the entire world. And everybody's coming down on Kobe and saying how selfish he is and his coaches aren't supporting him. His teammates are all like, um, talking badly about him and it's just a, a proper scene okay and I'm uh, many players might know this already but I want to paint this picture very clearly for the younger players here uh, how resilient he actually was and then right at this point there's the assault charge from Colorado and this isn't talked about very often but Kobe faced sexual assault charges and next thing you know the whole world is against him the whole world hates him he's facing a uh, very long time in prison or, or severe financial penalties. He's like been dropped by a whole bunch of his endorsement contracts. Um, Vanessa, I believe at one point filed for divorce or was like thinking of leaving and there was all of this relationship conflict and his entire world goes into turmoil. So not only is his basketball life a constant struggle and constant challenge with Shaq and with Phil and with the older teammates, but his family life and his personal life and his survival in society is threatened. All right, this is like shocking to really wrap your head around, really like take this all the way in and think about what this must have felt like. This is extreme resilience on the level of a fighter, all right, fighter. And we're going to talk about his transition into a warrior in a moment. But <laughs> during this time, during this time, and I'll say again, like just to paint this picture more completely, Shaq gets traded from the Lakers. Suddenly everybody in the league is like coming down on Kobe and saying that he broke up this dynasty and saying that like he's the villain and the Lakers are now at the bottom of the league and he's got to work his way back up. And during this time, actually a very close friend of mine used to train at the gym where Kobe trained at in the summer. And he would see Kobe almost on a daily basis. And... <laughs> This is kind of sad to say, but he said during this time, Kobe, uh, for a stretch of years, actually, not just a short period of time, but for years, was miserable. He was not happy. And he was very driven and working very hard and he was very talented and he was probably the best player in the world at this point. He was not happy. He was completely and totally miserable. Now, fast forward, okay? This is Kobe as the fighter, as somebody that you'd think of as resilient and he really got through a lot. But when Kobe transitioned into being a warrior, you saw a really clear change in his demeanor later on in his career, okay? At this point in his career, um, Kobe said something actually that, that really struck me. He said, and this is in an interview late in his career, he said, there were times when I felt like everything was over. Like it was all over, I was doomed, my career was over, like I was going to go to prison or my family was going to leave me or like it felt like actually the end. However, what you come to realize over time is that every storm passes. Every storm passes and the sun rises again. And he went through waves of this throughout his career, as you can track if you look back at the timeline. And there were storms and there were periods of like sunlight and then the storm came back and he said, every storm passes. And so he got into this sort of Zen-like quality where he met every challenge as it came and he embraced it and he grew from it. And this is truly when he like really moved into the eye of the storm and became this warrior 
who's sitting in the eye of the storm, perfectly resilient in the face of all challenge, embracing the challenge, not fighting against it and struggling, but embracing it and seeing how that challenge would grow him as a human being. And late in his career, especially after he retired, Kobe said like that was a different human being. He was beaming with happiness all the time. That's a very different story from early on in his career where that friend of mine was saying, Kobe's like miserable every day, I don't know what he's doing, to this man who's saying he's the happiest he's ever been. And so most resilient player of all time, making the leap from fighter level resilience to warrior level resilience, from the boxer pumping himself up in the, in the boxing ring to his entrance music, to the quiet, stoic samurai sitting in meditation before battle. That is really the transformation that we wanna make here. And <laughs> well, how do I want to put this? This next part is very profound. So I want to say this like as accurately as I can. Okay. So <clears throat> if we go back to our definition of resilience as your capacity and your ability to transform every challenge and struggle that you face into your growth and actualization of as a human being, this ability is not only just like some concept that will help you grow. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is a lot more profound. And so I wanna introduce you to a concept called anti-fragility. Um, there's a book called Anti-Fragile that you can read, but I'm gonna give you a synopsis of this concept. And a, a system that is anti-fragile not only is resilient in the face of challenge and can withstand that challenge, but actually, Every time that you stress the system or wound it in some way, it grows exponentially stronger as a result. And so a, a simple example of this, right, would be when you go to the gym and you work out and you break down your muscle tissue so that it grows back stronger. That process of breaking it down grows the muscle back stronger. That's an anti-fragile system, okay? Another more dramatic example of this, and this is where it really starts to become clear, in uh, Greek mythology, there's this story about a fight between Hercules and uh, her name was Hydra, I believe. So Hydra has like multiple heads and Hercules and Hydra are fighting. And every time Hercules cuts off one of her heads, two of them grow back in its place. That is anti-fragile. How do you wound something that grows stronger every time you strike it? How do you fight against that? It's impossible. That's an unstoppable force. And my, my favorite show growing up was Dragon Ball Z. And if you watch Dragon Ball Z, there's this warrior race called the Saiyans who would actually get stronger every time they were severely wounded. And so you would take them like to the brink of death in battle. And the next time you fought them, they'd be so much stronger as a result that you were like, how do I fight this thing? It's completely and totally anti-fragile. Another word for anti-fragile is true resilience, true resilience. So <laughs> the question really, and as you'll realize as we go throughout this next chapter, this is what we're developing here anti-fragility, true resilience, not your ability to white knuckle and get through the challenge, but your ability to absorb the challenge completely, to embrace it head on and allow it to grow you as a basketball player and as a human being. And when you do this, you can see how the growth is exponential. You cannot be hurt. That's the true way that, <laughs> you know, that all that talk about callousing your mind and you can't hurt me because I've gone numb to all this pain. 
That's kind of the opposite here. We're saying embrace all of it. Now you can't hurt me at all because nothing you can do will prevent me from growing stronger as a result. That's true resilience. And so as we go into this next chapter, the big question, of course, is where does this come from? How is it developed? And there's actually one fundamental philosophy that once you understand it, it will be impossible not <laughs> to have this true resilience. Impossible. And so that's what we're going to discuss in the next chapter. What we're going to do now is take a quick break, as we normally do. Go ahead, get a drink of water if you'd like, or just power right through, and I will see you back here in the next chapter. Okay, welcome back. So let's answer that big question. Where does true resilience come from? And what we're going to begin to discuss now is what I mentioned earlier as my fundamental philosophy towards all of life. Any success and happiness and growth that I've experienced in my life is due more so to this philosophy than any other. And we're going to talk about some some pretty deep stuff here, okay? So uh, strap in and pay close attention to this. This this can really transform the way that you live your life and, and especially your basketball career. So I'll start this off by mentioning a, uh, a meditation retreat that I went to in 2018. And... At the time, this retreat was done uh, or held by a teacher named Shinzen Young. Shinzen Young uh, created, in my opinion, the best meditation course that there is in the world right now. It's called The Science of Enlightenment. The audiobook version is the one that we recommend pretty much all of our Deep Game members go through. And so I'm in, in person with Shinzen at this retreat where we meditate um, 24 hours a day for a period of days. I think this one was like eight days or something like that. So... We're in this retreat, and in the evening, Shinzen gives a talk. And during one talk, he said something that has stuck with me ever since. And this wasn't new to me at the time. It just, this is when it really sunk in for me. But this is something that every great spiritual teacher, genuine spiritual teacher, not like spiritual YouTubers, but like the actual thing, <laughs> this is what they've all been saying for thousands of years. So this is nothing new. And, um, you know, if you go throughout, any scripture, this, this is what you'll find. So Shinzen said on this night that all of life is organized for the actualization of your full potential as a human being. All right, I'll say that one more time. All of life is organized for your actualization of your full potential as a human being. Now, this is a big, big deal. This means that life is not chaotic and random and out to get you and something that you fight against for survival at all costs. That's not the case at all. Life is a self-organizing system that organizes itself for the actualization of your full potential as a human being. That's a very different approach <laughs> to life than most people take. And we'll, we'll talk about how this ties into true resilience and actually how this fundamental philosophy is at the root of true resilience um, in a moment. But let's go more, uh, more deeply into this, okay? If life is organized for the actualization of your full potential as a human being, and this goes for every sentient being in all of reality, if this is the way that it's organized and life has been organizing itself for a whole lot longer than we have, right? Like life has been around for eternity and, um, you know, by scientific measurement, I think it's like 13 or 14 billion years now that um, creation has even existed. And so it has evolved and survived and organized itself for 
billions, billions of years. During this time, it's created like <laughs> magic, like the DNA molecule, the human brain, the cosmos, the entire natural world that we see. It's done all of this and it's done it without our help, right? For billions and billions of years. Humans have, most humans have been around for a handful of decades. <laughs> and yet we think we know better. <laughs> we think that we know better than life and that the events of life and the challenges that we face are such disasters and tragedy that we have to f resist them and struggle against them and fight for our survival. Why? Why? Is it possible that life is more intelligent than we are? Is it possible that life actually knows what it's doing and actually has our best interests in mind and that the challenges that we're facing, as extreme as they may be, and we'll, we'll go into some examples of this in a moment, as extreme as they may be and as difficult as they feel, is it possible that it's exactly what we needed for the actualization of our full potential. And once again, I'll, I'll remind you, like every genuine spiritual teacher throughout all of human history has said the same thing. Life is organized for the actualization of your full potential as a human being. They may use different words, but that is the core meaning here. So if we take this to be true, and we assume for a moment, you don't have to believe this all at once, but just try this perspective on for a moment, like you're trying on a shirt in a store, seeing how it fits, seeing how it feels. Like this is all we're doing right now. So try this on, all right? If we try this on, um, I wanna give you first a, a pretty extreme and striking example of the intelligence of nature and the intelligence of life at work. So. Uh, when I traveled to Japan and I, I spent a lot of time in Tokyo, the Tokyo subway system and super train system that travels all throughout Japan is one of the like modern marvels of engineering. All of these extremely talented engineers came together and plotted out this system of super trains that would take you pretty much all over the major stops in Japan very quickly. <laughs> this is something that, um, I, to my knowledge, it doesn't exist in any other country. I could be wrong about this, but it, it really is a marvel. Like we, we could go from Tokyo to Kyoto very quickly and very effortlessly in a very short period of time. So this is a modern marvel of engineering. And in an experiment, scientists did, they actually took a mushroom spore, so a mycelial fungi. And by scientific estimates, fungi and mycelium mushrooms have been around for 8 billion years, okay? So much, much longer than human life has been on this planet. And there's a mycelial network that actually encases the entire earth. They call it like the nature's internet. It, it actually passes infor information throughout the entire planet. So bottom line here, you don't have to know all that, but mushrooms have been around for a long time. So within this experiment, they plotted out this Japanese super train system on a tray. And at every major stop, they put this uh, oat culture. So the, the mushroom would actually um, want to spread to the oat culture for feeding. It would feed on these cultures. So they plotted out this entire, like all of the major stops that they needed to hit in this Japanese um, super train system. And then right in the middle, they put this mycelial fungi um, culture. Within 24 hours, the mycelium, the mushroom, had branched out and found a more efficient path <laughs> to each one of the major stops in this Japanese super train system than 
the entire team of engineers had done themselves. So within 24 hours, within one day, <laughs> this mushroom had found a more efficient route throughout all of Japan than this team of engineers had done in all of their years of building this like engineering marvel. So this is just a small example of how intelligent natural life actually is. Far more intelligent than human intelligence and human logical intelligence to the point where we can't actually grasp it. We don't understand what nature is doing. We, our intelligence isn't big enough to even perceive the like uh, magnificence of the natural world and how intelligent it really is. So I'm only telling you this just to drive this point home. Like life knows what it's doing. It's been doing it for a really long period of time. And maybe it has our best interests at heart. Maybe every single event in your life, maybe, <laughs> is organizing itself for the actualization of your full potential. So let's ground this in some basketball examples, okay? And I have some pretty extreme ones. And um, <laughs> I will say up front here, there are much more extreme examples in my life, like disaster level scenarios that I've been through in my life that I won't mention here because I don't, I don't want to take this talk in that direction. But um, there are much more extreme examples and all of them have ended the same way. So um, keep that in mind here. But I'll, I'll share some basketball examples. So... The first one, midway through my high school career, my singular focus and my goal at this point in my career was to make Team Ontario, the provincial team here in Canada. And I had been shooting for this goal for years. It's all I wanted. And when the time finally came, I was one of the last cuts for Team Ontario. I didn't make the team. And my best friend on my high school team made it. So I spent the summer back at home, having been cut from the team, while he went on to play at the national championships with Team Ontario. That was crushing to me. That was crushing. I thought, like, how am I ever going to make it in basketball? Two days after being cut from Team Ontario, I meet a player who was playing at the time overseas in the Italian Pro League. Um, he was making like 750 grand a year, if I remember correctly, like a... Um, he was a serious player in the in the first league in Italy, so uh, um, a real Euroleague player. He's home for the summer, and he told me that he was opening up a training business. He was going to train players, and so I paid him for that summer to train me, and we did training that I'd never been exposed to before, and I got to like, you know, sharpen my craft against a real legitimate professional level player, much better than any of the players on Team Ontario, of course, much better than the players that my teammate, my, my best friend was sharpening his craft against. And when we met again at the start of the following season, my game had far surpassed his and he was actually really burnt out from the experience with Ontario. He had um, not the experience he was hoping for. And so my off-season actually ended up being a far more positive experience than it would have been if I played for Team Ontario. So this is the first little hint of like, oh, maybe life has a different plan in store. Maybe it's giving me more than I could actually know to ask for myself. However, <laughs> it gets deeper than that. Several years later, I had a um, what ended up being a career-ending hip surgery. And I tore a third of the cartilage in my hip. You probably heard this story before. I've shared it a lot. Um, you know, they shaved off some bone off the head of the femur. And long story short, I, um, I came back for a year and then I re-injured the hip and I, my career was over. I physically, my hip could not withstand playing basketball any longer. So I had a career-ending injury. At this point, this is like the 
kiss of death, the most crushing blow that you can experience as a basketball player, maybe. However, uh, shortly after I my career ended, I started training players. That training business, which a lot of it was built off the foundation of being cut from Ontario and spending that summer training with the Italian pro. A lot of what I learned came from him and came from that experience initially being cut. (laughs) That training business transforms into an online course, which then becomes another online course, which becomes elite guard training, which becomes the biggest online basketball training platform in history. So elite guard training was born out of my career ending injury and before that being cut from Ontario and ultimately meeting that Italian pro league player. So all along the way, (laughs) two devastating events, being cut from the team I'd always wanted to play for and then having my career ended by this injury, those were turned into something far, far greater than I ever could have hoped for. And elite guard training went on to, we had over a million players come through that platform over the course of 10 years. It um, amounted to millions and millions of dollars in revenue. It changed my entire life, allowed me to travel all over the world. And ultimately, this is where the story gets tied together with a bow. (laughs) It culminated in me discovering what is the purpose of my life, which is these deep game teachings. And what do you know? (laughs) These deep game teachings would not exist. I would not be able to teach you in this way had I not gone through all of the struggle and all of the challenge first. All of these challenges that I faced throughout my career, they form the raw material of the entire deep game philosophy. My, my strength as a teacher actually comes from the ability to understand what you're going through on a really deep level because I went through it. I went through it. And so without those challenges, without that struggle, none of this would exist. We wouldn't be talking right now. So <laughs> does life, I'll, I'll pose this question again, like is life actually, actually organized for the actualization of your full potential as a human being? Does it have bigger plans in store for you than you could actually ask for yourself? And if you take this perspective on, again, we're just trying it on for now. You don't have to like lock yourself in for life here. There's no pressure, just try this on. If you take this perspective, is it going to lead to more growth for you? Are you going to see opportunities in a a much clearer way when they do arise? Are you going to see challenges differently? Is this going to be more functional? Is this a more skillful way to live? Ask yourself that question, okay? Ask yourself that question now. And as you ask that question, as you ask that question, I will pose a question to myself. If I had been sucked into the quicksand of thinking all of those experiences and challenges that I went through were purely negative, they were terrible things that happened to me, and when I tore my hip and doctors said I couldn't play anymore, I'd need a hip replacement, and all of this stuff happened, If I thought, wow, my basketball life is over, this is done, like uh, this is terrible, I'll never recover. If I had thought that way, would, and of course I was upset and so on, but ultimately I, I navigated towards the positive. So if I hadn't done that, if I'd stayed in the negative and locked into that perspective, would any of this have happened? Would EGT even exist? Would we be talking right now? Would Deep Game exist? I don't think so, (laughs) okay? And I can tell you actually for certain it wouldn't. If I was locked into the negative, none of that challenge would be transformed. And this gets into the deeper um, fundamental premise here that I I really want to get across to you because this is where true resilience comes from. 
the fundamental principle like in Taoism, and you've seen this before, in Taoism they call it yin and yang. We've all seen the yin and yang symbol where there's equal darkness and light within that same symbol. This is the Taoist philosophy for how all of reality is set up. There is always an equal amount of darkness and light. There's always just as much upside as there is downside. And so if this is true and reality is always in perfect balance, okay, perfect balance, just as much darkness as, as, as there is light, this is a fundamental principle. If that's true, then our free will and our choice is in where you place your attention. Are you gonna look at the negative and get stuck there? Because the negative is there, it's true. Like that career ending hip surgery happened, that was true. <laughs> However, EGT also happened, deep game also happened because I chose to not look at the negative and ultimately shift my awareness towards the positive. So this is the essence of free will. With any situation that you face in your life, you have the free will to choose where you place your attention. And where you place your attention will determine what happens next. This is like the grand adventure of life and really the big secret. Your free will gives you all of the power to choose the results of any event that comes into your life. When people say things happen for a reason, well, the reason isn't necessarily in the past. The reason is in the present. It's in the present of the choice that you are making right now in this very moment. Where are you placing your attention? On the career-ending injury, on the fight that you had with your coach, on the teammates that aren't passing you the ball, on the team that you just got cut from, on the game that you just went scoreless, on any of these difficulties that are happening? Or are you penetrating a little bit deeper and looking at the growth and the, more accurately, the growth potential within that experience, okay? Where are you gonna look? That's the choice that you have. And ultimately, that is where true resilience comes from. That's where true resilience comes from, where true resilience is born when you no longer even see challenges as challenges. You see them as opportunities. This is the essence of law number four of the deep game, the law of transformation, where the player who seeks growth advances faster than the player who seeks accomplishment. And <laughs> when you understand this and you are constantly seeking growth, there's no lack of accomplishment. There's no, in other words, there's no failure that you can face that will not allow you to grow because you realize there's just as much growth in the challenge and in the failure as there is in the positive experience and in the accomplishment. So you can't be hurt. You become like Hydra where like when one, one head gets cut off, two come back. In Dragon Ball Z, the Saiyans, when they're like beat to within an inch of their life, they come back even stronger later on for having been wounded. You are that warrior that every time you're wounded in battle, that wound actually is multiplied into exponential growth and you get stronger and stronger and stronger no matter what comes your way. This is true resilience. It's not white knuckling and fighting your way through life and struggling and callousing your mind and shutting off your emotions and being uh, mentally tough or um, you know the masculine <laughs> the masculine manifestation of mentally tough what most of us consider to be masculine toughness which Bruce as I said in the earlier chapter um, called just another word for emotional weakness it's not about that at all true resilience comes from trusting life 
comes from trusting life and trusting that every single experience in your life is organized for the actualization of your full development as a human being, okay? <laughs> that is a very different philosophy than most people take. And when you really get this, the profundity of it, like how powerful and profound it actually is, is jaw-dropping. You start to see everything in life and all of the experiences that you've ever been through as you see like this golden thread that runs through all of them and all of these challenges and these uh, twists and turns on, on your journey of life have all been leading to you to this perfect point of actualization, of becoming who you really are in the world. So this is the magic of life when people talk about like real magic or alchemy, like the, the alchemist who turns lead into gold. This is how it's done. It's in an absolute and complete trust in life that no matter what is thrown your way, and I really mean extreme examples. This is why I mentioned earlier, like um, the disaster level experiences that I've had in my life. If I didn't meet those, and, and I really mean disaster, like extreme stuff, way worse than what I talked about earlier in my basketball career. If I hadn't had this philosophy like in my back pocket, in my tool belt, if I hadn't seen life in this way, and it was challenging at times, but if ultimately I didn't trust the process of life, that would have crushed me. It would have completely crushed me. And yet it's amounted to like a life that I, I couldn't have even dreamed up myself. Life had to organize this for me because it's so beyond anything that I could have planned for myself. I, I can barely even put it into words, okay? So what I'd like to do what I'd like to do now, <laughs> what I'd like to do now, we're going to take a really quick break and then we're going to come back and do something a little bit more difficult, a little bit more difficult. And I'm going to challenge <laughs> your trust in life. And I'm going to challenge this philosophy in a way that might actually um, trigger some people, but this is going to be practice. All right. So make sure that you stick around for this chapter. It's going to be maybe a little bit controversial, um, but we're going to do it anyway because uh, it's gonna help the people who are open-minded for it, all right? So take a quick break, get a drink of water if you need to, come right back. You can power through, of course, if you'd like, and I will see you in the next chapter. Okay, welcome back. So as I mentioned, this chapter is going to be, um, this will be our final chapter, but it'll be a challenging one, okay? Because we are going to apply this philosophy of life organizing itself for the actualization of your full potential as a human being. And your trust that life is doing this for you, we're going to put it to the test with one of the most um, <laughs> raw topics in all of humanity right now, which is the pandemic. So we are going to examine how, how might you trust life and trust that life has a bigger plan in store for you and for all of us, all of humanity, through this experience of the pandemic. And this is a challenging experience, make no mistake. Like people have gone through extreme hardship, extreme hardship that in our lifetimes, we probably haven't seen something so dramatic at this point. I certainly haven't. So how could we put this to the test? Well, I'm gonna open this up just by sharing my own experience. And I understand some people's experience was much, much different than this. So this is just for me, okay? <laughs> During the pandemic, I took this approach that we've been talking about to um, 
the situation. So I had complete faith that whatever was happening during this pandemic was organized for our growth as a species and for my growth as an individual within this species. And so the result of that throughout the last 18 months or however long it's been, the result of that is that I had probably the best year and a half of my entire life. It was not the most exciting year and a half, like I was stuck in, in my house, but in terms of growth in all aspects of my life, this is the best year of my life, best year and a half of my life. And so during this time, I started Deep Game, which is, again, I, I said this before, but this is like my reason for being. This is work that I, I love so deeply. You can probably feel that, right? This is why these talks are so long and, and <laughs> why we do this work at all. This is my life's purpose. So that was born during the pandemic. The second thing that I did was that entire 18 month period from the start of the pandemic until right now, um, well actually it finished three weeks ago, so almost right now, I completed a master level meditation apprenticeship under a master level teacher. That was the biggest accomplishment of my entire life. And I'm not gonna go into the details of what that apprenticeship was, it's, it's private, I'm just mentioning it here for context. <laughs> That was the biggest accomplishment of my entire life. Nothing in basketball, nothing in business even approaches the, the magnitude of what that was. That was the equivalent of like, um, you know, meditation medical school or something, becoming a doctorate, like a, getting your doctorate or PhD in meditation. That's what that was. And um, there's some extreme challenge that comes along with that, extreme challenge. So that's what I did during the pandemic. And um, most recently, towards the tail end of this stretch of time, I fell in love. So <laughs> all things considered, my work life, my purpose was completely transformed through Deep Game. My spiritual life through that meditation apprenticeship and the way that I see reality and just my internal world, how it functions, was completely transformed through that apprenticeship. And my relationship life, my partnership, completely transformed. And even the way that I experience relationships and experience love, completely transformed. So on almost all levels, <laughs> like it was the best year and a half of my life. And again, I'm only sharing this to give a little bit of context to this next part here, because I understand a lot of people had a very different experience. And this was the worst year and a half of their life. And, you know, I, I really empathize with that. I have close friends going through extreme difficulty right now that is, is scary, okay? So I, I'm not negating that at all. What I wanna do is put this philosophy to the test. And so if there's always the yin and the yang, the dark and the light, the, the up and the down, and we have free will of where we place our attention, how might we place our attention during this pandemic? Well, first of all, there's a huge health challenge here. A lot of people are responding to that health challenge during the pandemic by getting stressed out, by locking themselves inside, by eating junk food to like ease their stress and stress eating, so to speak. Another approach, <laughs> another approach that you could take is to re-examine your health and look at what am I eating? What am I supplementing with? How strong is my immune system? And this can result in a transformation of your health in the middle of a health crisis. A lot of people took that approach, okay? A lot of people took that approach and that is one potential approach you could take. A lot of people lost their jobs during the pandemic. And again, I empathize with this. One approach to take is to 
get sucked into the quicksand and the, the spiral of like financial stress and pressure and um, you know people with families who are laid off and all of that is really, really difficult. Some people took the approach of re-examining their career path, re-examining their reason for being on this earth and what is the work that they're really meant to do. And a lot of people discovered their purpose during the pandemic. I certainly did. So that's another approach that you could take. And remember, both both, uh, both the negative and the positive are equally true. You just have the free will and the choice of where you place your focus. And wherever you place your focus will become true. Okay? We're creating the future by where we place our focus now. The other thing that happened, um, the other thing that happened is we got to, as a society, realize for the first time, I don't think this has ever happened throughout like modern history. We realized that we could radically heal the environment, radically through a change in our lifestyle. When everybody was locked inside all at once early on in the pandemic, there was a massive clearing of pollution, massive. That had never been witnessed before. And so we saw that if we shut down, like, or, or at least reimagined aspects of our industrial world and how bad it is for the planet, if we reimagined them, we could actually heal the planet. The like planetary crisis that's going on right now with the, um, the health of the earth, that doesn't actually have to happen, all right? We don't have to go extinct in a matter of decades. Um, well, it might be sooner than that, I don't know. But there is a real risk of the human race going extinct, not just a virus wiping out like a certain portion of the population, but our entire human population being wiped off the planet due to global warming and um, all of the environmental problems that we're facing right now. That's a really big deal. And so the fact that it showed us that we could do that and it showed us that the planet can be healed, that is an enormous positive. Don't, don't, uh, don't discount that, all right? That's a big deal. So point being, during the pandemic, we all had this choice of like, where are you going to place your attention? Are you going to use this experience and trust that life actually is organizing itself in a really intelligent way that we might not quite understand yet and that our first impression of this experience might not actually be factually accurate maybe there's a bigger plan um, maybe there's a bigger plan in the works so consider that again we're just trying on this perspective right consider that and you might notice um, well I'll, I'll mention this now I have a very close friend and I want to mention this just because like I really do empathize with the people who went through the difficulty because somebody very close to me is in the hospital right now due to long-term COVID and um, he's really struggling. Like there, there were some disastrous things that happened during this stretch of time and yet if I speak to him right now from his hospital bed, he will say, he will be the first one to say and he will say it with full conviction that the process he's in and the experience he's having, he has complete trust and faith in. This is a, a really advanced meditator and he has complete trust and faith in it and he has begun to recover and a lot of good has come out of this experience and people rallying around him and in support and um, it's really beautiful to see. So I will say again, you 
always, no matter how dark things get, you always have this choice. And there is always just as much light as there is dark. It's not out of balance. Nature knows what it's doing. It is in balance and you have free will to choose where you place your attention. So bringing this back to the concept of resilience and true resilience comes from this ability from this ability to trust life. You will be resilient on a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual level. True, truly resilient, not just like calloused and shut off, but truly resilient. To the degree that you trust life, the closer you get to 100% trust in life, the more resilient you will become until once you get to like 100%, you trust everything that life brings your way, no matter how extreme it is. If that's the place that you get to, resilience doesn't even, as a word, like it, it doesn't even come close to describing what you will be. You will see the inherent perfection in all of nature all the time. And there is no experience that can hurt you. No experience whatsoever. Not your coach yelling at you, not a bad game, not a teammate getting upset with you, a conflict with your girlfriend, like nothing can hurt you. Nothing can hurt you. That is true resilience. And so... Once again, we are just trying this perspective on for now. And if you've tried it on and it, it fits well, it feels good on you, then I want to offer one final story as we wrap up here. And this is a story about an old woman who was in a lot of the meditation retreats that I've done. And this is a, a really fascinating older woman because at her age, it's very rare to be doing like extremely grueling spiritual work. Like these meditation retreats are no joke. However, um, she was a spectacular woman, just like resilient all the way through. And even in her old age was just glowing with um, this strength that I haven't seen in, in many other people in the world. And so she said something really profound uh, during one of these retreats. She said that her fundamental practice, her fundamental life practice is not meditation. It's not any of this other stuff fundamental practice is that every single thing that happens to her in her life, every experience that comes her way, she simply says, thank you. She says, thank you. And she means it. Okay. That is true resilience. When every single thing that happens in your life, you simply say, thank you, because you understand that life is organized for the actualization of your full potential as a human being. Nothing can touch you when you do this, okay? Nothing can touch you. And <laughs> true resilience at this point, what it feels like is that <laughs> it doesn't feel like a struggle or a fight. It feels like ease and effortlessness, okay? It doesn't feel um, like a war or a battle. It feels like peace, like this profound sense of peace where everything is inherently perfect all the time, no matter how crazy the storm is around you you are sitting in the eye of that storm just like in awe of its brilliance and magnitude like how what a storm and you're able to appreciate it for what it is for the the mystery and the unfolding of life itself and finally it doesn't feel like difficulty life and these challenges and and things that inevitably come up for everybody even people with true resilience they still face challenge in their life but those challenges don't, fa don't feel difficult. It doesn't feel like difficulty. It doesn't register that way in your mind and body. It feels like possibility. 
every time something comes into your field and comes into your experience that you're like, oh, wow, that, that's a challenge. There's not this flinching and, and contraction that happens. There's an opening to like, oh, wait, I, I wonder what life's got in store now. Like, I, I wonder <laughs> I wonder where it's leading me. I wonder where it's leading me. And you become like just in love with the mystery of life itself. This is true resilience. And I know we got pretty deep in this talk, actually. And so well done for taking it this far. I know um, if I had to guess right now, not a lot of players will take it this far. And so... Um, <laughs> you've got my respect for doing this. And if you can not just try this on, but wear it as like a fundamental layer <laughs> all the time, this, this core philosophy of trusting life and knowing that as every great teacher has said throughout all of history, life is organized for the actualization of your full potential as a human being. And if actualization of your full potential is your goal in life, then Trust life. Trust that it knows what it's doing. It's been doing it for a long, long time. All right? So I hope this helped you out. If you have any questions, please let me know, and I will see you in the next one. Hey, it's Coach Taylor. I hope you enjoyed today's talk. And if you did, the best thing to do right now while it's fresh in your mind is head over to deepgame.com and take our free one-hour masterclass where you'll actually learn all of the fundamentals, all eight laws of the deep game, and everything that you need to know as a high-level basketball player about the part of basketball that's played with the mind. We've had players call this the best hour of basketball learning of their lives, and I think this is going to be so, so powerful for you. So head over to deepgame.com right now or just click the link around this video, and I will see you there.